Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. If you'll pardon me, I'm going to put on a theological professor's hat for just a moment because this is foundational. And I want, I want us to, to grasp the impact of what it means, as we just read a few moments ago, about being saved. And what does that mean to be saved? There are three parts of a person's salvation. There is the fact that I am saved, okay? There was a time in my life I was justified. I was made right with Jesus It happened when I was eight years old that this justification happened. I didn't justify myself, but Jesus and his work on the cross justified me, made me whole, made me complete, gives me my identity of who I am. A life principle is I am who God says I am. Not who I feel like I am, not who I think that I am, not who other people think that I am. We are not what we are. We are not what we think we are. We are what other people think we think we think we are, if you can follow all that. The reality is we're none of that. We are who God says I am. And we started this off in the very first series of saying that I am blessed. I am chosen. I am loved. I am adopted. I am freed. I am forgiven. And I am enlightened. That is my identity. That is who I am because of the saving justifying work of Jesus making me right. It's the work of Jesus that does that. Okay, the second part of our salvation is that I will be saved. One of these days when I breathe my last and I'm pushing up daisies, there will be a day, because you know what? All of us, the statistics are amazing out there, that one out of every one person dies. I don't know if you noticed that. It's a guaranteed fact that one day you will die. And uh, we have no length of time, a span of time that, that uh, we are guaranteed. We are guaranteed life and we are guaranteed death. But what I want is on the backside of my life is that I will be saved on the backside of my life. That is a part of salvation, that I will eternally be with Jesus. A f- big word for that is glorification. I will be put on uh, the incorruptible body. I will, I will be in a, in a place of incorruption. I will be I- I- immortal uh, at that point. I am mortal at this point. But I am looking forward to that day. And we talk a lot about it and we want to prepare ourselves for living. I want to challenge you today, prepare yourself for dying. Because it will happen. Amos 4.12 says, prepare to meet your God. How much time do you prepare to meet your God? You know, I've done hundreds. I, I can't even begin to count up the number of funerals that I've done. Maybe, maybe 150, 100, 150 funerals over the course of 32 years of being in ministry. And I can nearly walk into a funeral and feel the, 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 the lack of joy, the lack of security versus going into others. And you just sense that there's, this is a home going. This is a celebration of life. This is an incredible person that we're celebrating as they step into eternity. Yes, you're grieving the loss. Yeah, you're going to miss them. But there is this, this grieving that is, as Paul said, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. We grieve when someone passes. But we grieve with hope. And so let me say to you today, if you have not been saved, you will not 
in the future be saved. You have to be saved before you can be saved into the future. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus as your justifying, glorifying Savior of the world? But that's not all of our salvation. Our salvation is also that I am being saved. There is a sanctifying element. You're going to hear me say that word a lot today, beginning to the end of the message. There's this sanctifying element where I am living right with Jesus. It's not just I'm looking forward to glory in the heavens. I'm not just pointing back to when I was a kid, when I was baptized, when I made a decision to follow Jesus. It's what's happening right now between the bookends. You know, you're going to tombstone. You see the beginning. You see the ending. But what's happening right here? That's salvation as well. And what Paul does in Ephesians is he turns our attention to really focusing on not just whose I am, but who I am, and who I am shapes what I am, what I am in life, what I live out my life, how I walk, how I talk, how I think, how I feel, how I perceive, how I vote, how I live out my life. It's like when you look at the First three chapters of, uh, of Ephesians, you see the justification work of God when he makes us right. But then there is the sanctification work. That's chapter four to chapter six. So we're going to spend the rest of our time dealing with this whole work of God happening that he's doing in us. The first three chapters deals with this vertical grace of God where we're being made right with God. But then the second part of Ephesians, it's going to deal with this horizontal grace of God where he's working in, in us or on us. In fact, the grace works in us, then he works on us. It is this incredible work of God. And this word sanctification, again, can be a, a heavy word to lift. Okay, it sounds a little, sounds a bit very churchy. Not exactly in our vocabulary from day to day, but it is actually a very important word to grasp in the Christian life, in the life of being with Christ. Because I do not live the way I used to live because I am not who I used to be. Let me say that to you again. I do not live the way I used to live because I am not who I used to be. I used to be lost. I used to be separated from Christ. I used to be far from God. I used to be dead in my trespasses and sins. Go back and read the first three chapters of Ephesians. Now I'm made alive. Now I have a new life. Now I have a new course. I have a new pathway to live out my life. And God is going to be working on me for the rest of my life. The rest of your life as well. I went back through my old seminary uh, master's degree notes and looking up sanctification and trying to understand it a little bit. And this is what my professor gave as our definition 25 years ago. I still had it in a book, and I pulled it out. I think it's the best definition of what sanctification is and means. It's this gracious operation. Notice the word grace is hidden in there. Gracious operation of the Holy Spirit involving our responsible participation by which he delivers us from the pollution of sin and renews our entire nature according to the image of God. So what are we going to be made like? We're going to be going back to the image of God. It enables us to live lives pleasing to God. That is an incredible definition of sanctification. I want you to zero in on involving ourselves as responsible participants. 
It's not the first three chapters, this is what God does, and the last three chapters is what we do. It's what God's grace is doing in us. That sanctifying, that making right, that making us whole and complete and and exactly what God wants to be. In every corner, crevice, domain, bucket of our life. Next week, we're going to talk about anger management 101. Because one of the things that this sanctifying work does is it works in even our relationships. Again, the grace of God works horizontally, not just vertically. This is what 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 says whenever Paul is praying this. He says, may God, the God of peace himself, sanctify you completely. Now, anytime you see that word sanctifying, you may think about that's nice, that gracious work of the Holy Spirit where I am participating in this process, okay, of making me whole and right and renewing me back to that image of God. Pleasing to God. Sanctifying you completely. May the whole spirit, your spirit, your soul, your body be kept blameless to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is going to work in our bodies. He's going to work in our spirits. He's going to work in our souls. He's going to work in our emotions, our souls. He's going to work in our spirit, the eternal person of who we are that lives on. Even when our bodies die, he's also going to work in our bodies, making us whole, complete sanctified. What is our responsibility? Take your Bibles and let's look at Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, and you look at these passages, you'll find, again, there's going to be a change in tenor and tone of how Paul writes. Again, I keep wanting to contrast the first chapters and the last chapters. The first chapters, all the verbs are written in the indicative form, which is, it's a continuous ongoing action that many times that God is doing, okay? It's by His grace that we are saved. He's tearing down the walls of, his, of hostility that separate us and, and so forth. That's the work of Jesus in us. But He changes from the indicative to the imperative in the last section. And He's giving one imperative command after another, call Calling us to action because again, we are participating in the sanctification process. I am not sanctifying myself, the Holy Spirit is sanctifying me, but I am a willful, involving, responsible participant in that process. Notice what he tells us to do in this chapter. Verse 22, he says this He says, Put off the old self. And then he goes down to verse 24, he says, Put on the new self. There's a juxtaposition here. We got to figure out the juxtaposition. Therefore, anytime you ask, you see therefore, you ask wherefore, therefore is therefore, because there's the old self is gone and the new self is coming on, we need to put away falsehood. So you get right there, three responsibilities that we play in this whole sanctifying process that God is wanting to do in and with us in this process. He's trying to make us better. Better doesn't mean turning over a new leaf. Better doesn't mean making a new resolution. Better means making a new life. A new life requires putting off, putting on, and putting away. Three elements participating in the great work of the Holy Spirit. Number one responsibility I have is to put off the old. Now, I'll tell you right now, this ain't easy. This putting off 
is not just putting it off one time at the cross, not at the baptism, not at Lord's Supper time, not on Sunday mornings. It is not just one time a day. I am all day long putting off. Because the old nature wants to jump right, right back in on the throne and wants to do the, the... See, faith is easy. Repentance is hard. Faith is, is internal. Repentance is external manifestation. Faith is looking up. Repentance is looking within. Faith is believing that it is a better tomorrow. Repentance is moving into the better tomorrow. This one word, repentance, that is throughout the New Testament is a call to a change. I'm moving this way. I'm now going to move this way. It's a daunting word. It's a it's a it's an ominous word. It's sometimes again a word we do not use. But the calling to put off the old self is what we're called to do. But it's exactly what Jesus talks about in the very first words of the very first message of Jesus in Matthew. He uses this word. Matthew chapter three verse two. Repent. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter does his message at the day of Pentecost, when 3,000 people become followers of Jesus, the very last word he uses is repent. The call to action is to repent because it means a change in my life, a change in my attitude, a change in my way. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. What am I to do? I'm to repent and to believe in the gospel. That calling to believe is something that probably most people can put their arms around. It's a faith move. It's a, it's a cognitive, but it's also, an, it's also volitional. It's also something deep inside of us, in our soul, in our spirit. But there's also a change of lifestyle. A change of the way we do things. We're under new management at this point. C.S. Lewis, in his great book, Mere Christianity, himself was again an atheist for many years, surprised by joy as his, his autobiography worth reading. says, now repentance is not fun at all. Okay? Let's just own it. It is something much harder than merely eating humble pie. It means unlearning all the self-conceit, unlearning the self-will that we have been training ourselves into thousands of years. It means killing part of yourself, undergoing a kind of death. In fact, it needs to it needs a good man to repent. Repentance is simply a description of what is going back to him is like. Listen. Receiving Jesus into your heart is the beginning of your salvation journey. It's not the end. Receiving Jesus into your heart is a beautiful thing. But as I've heard it said, Jesus may be in your heart, but Grandpa's in your bones. you got old ways and old habits and old ways of doing things that we've got to get rid of, that we've got to repent of, that we've got to get out of our life. Now notice at verse 17, because he kind of goes into that. Now this I say, and testify to the Lord, he's really emphasizing what he's about to say here, that you must no longer 
If you go back to chapter 4, verse 1, you'll find that he tells us to walk worthy. So this whole walking out, living out our, our life and our faith is exactly what he calls. Don't walk any longer like the Gentiles do, like those people who are far from God. Don't walk like them in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. A, don't pick on them. We're not picking on the Gentiles. This is everybody, okay? They're alienated from the, uh, uh, from the life of God because of ignorance. That is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves over to sensuality. Listen, if you don't control your sensuality, if you don't control your sexuality, it will control you. I don't let my sexuality tell me what I'm going to do. I tell my sexuality what I'm going to do. But whenever you don't have Christ and you don't have that Him living inside of you in your heart, in your life, making the decisions of your life, you will be controlled by sensuality. Giving themselves over to sensuality, greedy, and to practice every kind of impurity. Look at the list. Futile minds. Darkened understanding. Alienated from the life of God. That's a person who doesn't have Jesus. Then you go to verse 20. But God interrupts, but that is not the way you learned Christ. That's not the way of the Christian. That's not the way of the Jesus follower. But God interrupts again. That is not the way that we are to live our our lives. And I want to kind of come back to um, the whole life change and repentance and stepping in line with Him and living that out. Uh, Family therapists, uh, counselors will talk about uh, first... uh, first level changes and second level or first order changes and second order changes. And there's a lot of people who will make first order changes. First order changes is whenever I'm going to go on a diet. New Year's comes, I'm going to go on a diet. I get on a diet for a month, maybe. And, and then I get off of it. I make a New Year's resolution, a first order change, and then it's gone away within a few weeks. For, we make first order changes all the time. We have an argument. We say something we should say. I'll never say that again. I'll never do that again. And then we do it again. I'm going to look at porn. I'm not going to look at porn again. We look at porn again. First order changes. First order changes. We all the time are making first order changes. We cosmetically dress ourselves up with first order changes. We change our personas First order changes. We change so much on the outside, but we never go to second order changes. The first order changes, you still continue to live the old story with a new cosmetic look on the outside. A second order change is when the new story is being written. So when I talk about repentance, it's not just for a moment. It's not just for a time. A life of putting off is you're going to constantly have to put off. Put off what is broken. Put off what is dark. Put off what is ungodly. It's a daily, moment-by-moment thing. It's why Jesus said, if you would come after me, if anyone's going to come after me, what must he do? He must deny himself. Get myself out of the way. Get Jesus on the throne. Take up his cross daily, hourly, minute-by-minute, and follow me. Notice he didn't just say follow me. There is a repentance that must happen on the front end. There's a dying to the old self that must happen on the front end. What of the old is keeping you from living the new? What of your old life is 
uh, holding you back from living the new life for Christ. Number two, responsibilities that we have in the participation of the work of God, the Holy Spirit working in us, is to put on the new. Take off the old, out with the old, in with the new. If you're going to stop something, no longer walk in this way, as he talks about in verse 17, then we got to start walking in a different way. The way you get rid of a bad habit is you take up a new habit, okay? You take up a new lifestyle, not just a habit. You take up a new way that you're going to live out your life, the rhythms. Here's a personal question for you. What am I doing to look, listen, and lead and love more like Jesus? In my life, look, what am I looking at? Listening. Do I listen like Jesus listened? Do you realize Jesus asked 133 questions in the New Testament alone? He was a listener. And lead, speaking out, using your words and love more like Jesus. Because we're called to put on that stop of life. To get out with the old and in with the new is to put on the, the, the new image and the new likeness uh, in which he's called us to. Verse 24, put on, created after the likeness of God. After the likeness of God. That's where we are to become more and more looking, listening, leading, and loving like Jesus. Looking, listening, leading, and loving like Jesus. Looking, listening, leading, and loving like Jesus. When you go over to Colossians, Colossians, Paul is again the same theme of calling people to put on and take off. And he, and he, and he says this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. He says, put on the new self. Exactly consistent with what he's just talking about in Ephesians. He's saying it again to the church in Colossae. Which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So let me just talk about the standard, the gold standard in which we're to be looking like. We're to be looking, acting, feeling, listening, learning, loving like Jesus. That means that we are taking on the image of our creator. You realize that when you were made, when we were made, when our mother and father and grandpappy and and grandmammy, uh, Adam and Eve were made, they were made in the image of God. The Imago Dei in Latin. When they were made in the image of God, it was beautiful, it was perfect. We were the only of all, all of creation. And I don't care the stars and the earth and the, and, and the beautiful streams. Nothing else was made in the image of God except humanity. We were the only ones who bre- received the breath of God into the nostrils. It was the image of God given to us. We're the highest form of creation. So what is he trying to do? He's calling us back to the image of our Creator. How am I looking, listening, leading, loving, more like Jesus? He goes on and he gives some definition to it. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved and compassionate hearts. You have a compassionate heart? Kindness. Boy, we need kindness. Humility. Or the arrogance that reeks in our political system today is nauseating. Meekness, patience, bearing with one another. If one is has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven. 
loving, leading, listening, more like Jesus? Since you must forgive, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. You want to see world peace? You want to quit seeing all the fighting and the division in our families and in our political world today? Let's look a lot more like Jesus, okay? That's the harmony that brings us together. That's what brings beauty and majesty of looking and listening and leading and loving more like Jesus. Now, this past year, I started this, the, the year with a series on uh, the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, maybe you remember, maybe you didn't, go back and listen to it. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so forth. And most people can get through, I don't know, uh, uh, three or four, or maybe hit a handful of those qualities or those manifestations of the fruit of the Spirit in our life. But the two. And I've been, mind you, I have been justified, made right with Jesus since I was eight years old. But I, when preaching through that series of messages, realized that. There's some manifestation issues in my life that I'm, I'm not looking, li- listening, leading, loving like Jesus in two primary areas in this whole year. God has been working them into my life, and that's kindness and gentleness. Kindness and gentleness. I pray that I will see more and more of the Holy Spirit in my life, and that you will as well. He's still working on me, and He's working on you. Number three, responsibility if I'm a part of the process of my sanctification. Jesus' grace, His Holy Spirit is working in me. I am a willing participant in that process. I am putting away lies. Now, this is so important. He could have done the first two, and you would have got it. Nice little bow, go on the way home, but lies. Put off the old, put on the new, but put away the lies. The lies is the little SD card, mini SD card that's in the soul of your mind, in who you are, has narrative, that has wounds, that's telling you things to do and justify things that you shouldn't do. It's habits and patterns and addictions and hang-ups that I can't seem to get past. Remember, he's he's making us this, this peace that God is sanctifying us completely in our spirits, in our souls, in our emotions. That's at the depth of who we are. Um, there's a lot of things stored on your mini SD card of your soul. Stories and messages that you were told as a child, that you experienced through trauma, that you're living out now in your life because your mentor, you saw somebody that you admired in life, or maybe you're just looking ahead at somebody else's life and you're just following that that narrative. The narratives that are out there are too numerous to even begin to explain, but one of those is trauma. One of the books that I've been reading, and it's, it's, it's deep, is The Body Keeps the Score, and just the impact on trauma in a person's life. One of the books I'm halfway through right now is Resilient by John Eldridge, and he quotes from 
the Trauma Steward, Stewardship Institute founder. And this is, what, this is what she says about trauma. She says, as hard as the initial trauma is, it's the aftermath that destroys people. You take somebody who's experienced trauma in their life, trauma in a relationship, trauma in trust, trauma on a job, trauma. Most people can live through that trauma. Let's, let's, let's go dark, okay? Some in this room have experienced sexual trauma. They experienced that sexual That was bad. But it's for the next three decades of them living in the narrative of that brokenness that they can't get out of, that continues to haunt them in, 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 in their intimacy, in their marriage, and years and years have gone by and decades have gone by, but they're still living with this false narrative that then begins to impact how they live. So it's, it's the post-trauma that can do some of the greatest rewriting of our life. Verse 25 says, put away the false self. Because we live in that false message, that false narrative, and then what it does is impacts our relationships with others and let us, let each one of us speak the truth with his neighbor. How do you get rid of the false narrative? There's a lot of ways and books you can read and counselors you could see, and I would recommend all of that. But to give you the spark notes on it, you're going to have to flush out the lies with truth. You're going to have to reformat that SD card. You're going to have to hear a new narrative, a new message that you may not be used to hearing, living that we can't seem to break free from, about value and place and identity and whatever else. Um, about a pain or trauma in the past that you've experienced, and it's told you a lie, and you're living that lie. And I want us to do something today. I want us to take a moment, and in a moment, not yet, I want us to just all just kind of close our eyes, everyone in the room, no moving around. I want us to just get real reflective for a moment. Think about Here's the question. What lie am I living? What lie am I living? Let's bow our heads. I'm going to give you 30 seconds. I'm literally going to watch the clock. I'm going to give you 30 seconds, and I want you to enter into this space, and I just want you to listen to the Spirit of God speak. Here's the question again. What lie am I living? Just remain your eyes closed and your heart attentive to the Lord. I want to take you back in time. I want to take you to a garden. 
olive trees, a breeze coming up through the Kidron Valley, the noise and the hustle and bustle of Jerusalem just across that valley. To Jesus' favorite place to go. Where he prayed and he intense prayers. But on the night before he was crucified, on the night that he was betrayed, on the night that his all of his disciples abandoned him, he prayed for his disciples in that sacred, holy place in a garden. Not in a church building, in a garden. He prayed. It's the true Lord's Prayer, is John 17. Read it for yourself when you get home. But here's what he prayed. These nine words. Let these nine words be your prayer all week long. Let it, you memorize these words. And you're going to find, as I read these words to you, the very first word is the work of God's salvation in us ongoing throughout our life. Here's the words. Listen to them prayerfully. It was the prayer of Jesus for his disciples. Sanctify them. Sanctify them. Make them complete. Make them whole. Make them right. Sanctify them in the truth. There's a lot of lies. There's a lot of false narratives being lived out There's a lot of patterns of lying that we've lived. Sanctify my disciples in the truth. Your word is truth. Where are you going to find that truth? You're going to find it in the word of God. The spirit of God and the word of God speaking truth into your life. Father, you know our hearts. You know what trauma that people in this room have experienced, what, maybe not trauma, but maybe just lies, family secrets, patterns, habits, addictions that have so gripped and controlled. And Father, the only way we're going to be fully right with you and sanctified and putting off and putting on and Turning off the lies is the sanctifying work of your Spirit. Father, in this space, help us to name the lie, but to flush it out with the truth. So now, Father, show us what truth is. You've shown us what lie we've been living what lie we've been believing, what lie we've been repeating. Father, would you now show us truth? Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church Podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live Scent.